Continuing with our Lent study of the letter to the Galatians and recapping Galatians chapter 2, Paul clearly taught that we are saved when we stopped trusting in keeping the law and in our own doings and instead to trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ at Easter through Good Friday on the cross and the resurrection on the Sunday. And of course, this should result in motivating us to do good, uh, but the message is clear that doing good isn't part of our salvation. So now we come to Galatians 3 and looking at uh, Galatians 3, uh, 1 to 29, Paul talks about spiritual growth that follows from our salvation. To use the jargon, we're justified by faith in Christ, but we're also sanctified or set apart by faith in Christ. So Galatians 3, 1 to 5 talks about the relationship uh, with God that comes only through grace and how that relationship develops also through grace. Galatians 3, 6 to 14 talks about uh, a case from the scriptures showing how the entire history of God's revelation to his people has been an unfolding of this message of grace. And uh, lastly, Galatians three fifteen to 29 makes a case from the example of a will, uh, a last will and testament, and leads to discussion of the purposes of the law of God. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to try and have a look uh, at as briefly as we can at this short session from Galatians. Galatians 3, 1 to 5. It speaks about how the Gentile people of the region in Galatia, now modern Turkey, who uh, had come to Christ, and now they were in danger of falling from the gospel of grace that they had so embraced. Verse 1 says, first, that they came to Christ. The Galatians had come to Christ through Jesus being clearly portrayed and crucified. This tells me first that a message had been communicated, in other words, preached. Paul had delivered this message to them. Uh, And then secondly, the message was so vividly presented that it gripped their hearts. They received the Holy Spirit by hearing uh, with faith, 3 verse 2. They believed that what they heard, and this contrasts with the religious observation of Galatians chapter 2. They believed what they heard. It tells me something about the power of the preached word. It wasn't a lecture that Paul gave that they all suddenly decided, oh yeah, that uh, seems to make sense. No, he preached the word and it actually had anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit. It was taken from the words of Paul's lips into their hearts and a transformation took place by the work of the Holy Spirit. There's a dynamic of the living word preached and heard by a congregation. There's an interaction. Even if there's no dialogue uh, or heckling, something is going on that enables the Holy Spirit to work in the heart of the listener from the lips of the preacher. So that's a personal comment about the power of the word, the living word. Uh, Notice... To believe the gospel isn't merely to agree with it. It's not just an intellectual process. You're you're not saved just by believing 
or by keeping some ethical or moral laws. But to believe in Christ is to evoke a transformation in us that amounts to new birth, a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5.17. And the believing resulted in them coming alive spiritually. This is echoes of Jesus talking to Nicodemus in John 3 verse 5 about the new birth. And this section of the letter, uh, Galatians 3, 1 to 5, seems to address a falling back to the works of the law and therefore the Galatians falling from grace. Verse 1 starts, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Verse 3, are you so foolish after beginning with the Spirit? Are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? This is a telling off from Paul, the master pastor. We're back to that message of do against done. There's something within us that wants to earn our salvation and even our growth in spiritual maturity by what we do. But no, it's all about what Christ has done for us. It's not about what we do. It's all about what he has done. Much of our disobedience and falling from grace is not inherently bad in itself, such as benevolence and philanthropy. And if I'm inwardly trying to progress as a Christian or be seen to be a Christian by good deeds, I am, in fact, denying the grace of our Lord Jesus And I need to continually repent of those things and hand back the reins to the Lord. So in summary, when our hearts by faith receive the truth, we begin our new spiritual life. We're not converted by a general faith out of a vague belief in something that seems to make sense. We're born again. We're a new creation through the finished work of Christ in us. And Paul is warning the Galatian Christians and us Uh, that it's very easy to fall back into earning our righteousness. It's as much a challenge uh, to us as to the church in Galatia that Pastor Paul was writing to. So moving on to Galatians 3, uh, 6 to 14. Paul mentions this link with Abraham and says in 3 verse 6 that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. It seems to be a tangent to the theme of the letter, but no. Notice he doesn't say Abraham believed in God. Abraham didn't just believe in God. He believed God, believed that what God said, what God promises, is what saves, is trustworthy and true. Faith is not about just believing in God, hence the connection to Abraham. Soul-saving faith is faith in God's provision, not in our performance. We're back to that message of God's saving grace. In Galatians 3, 10 to 12, Paul speaks about two kind of people. First, those who live by faith, and second, those who rely on observing the law. Or as verse 12 puts it, those who live by the law. To live by something means to rely on it for our fulfillment, for our happiness, for our purpose. Whatever we live by is what makes us tick, what gives us meaning and confidence and purpose. It was quite a revelation to me after I retired from being a hospital chaplain that I felt that my role as a chaplain had come to define me. 
And after I retired and that role was gone, I was challenged to rediscover my meaning and purpose in my relationship with my Lord Jesus Christ. It's an interesting question to ask, what makes you tick? What makes me tick? Or what is my life based on? And if I lost that thing, how would I feel? If life isn't worth living after such a loss, it poses a question about who or what has lordship of your life. And it's a good question for us to ask. But what is Galatians 3.10 on about that, quote, all who rely on works of the law are under a curse? That's strong stuff. Paul is quoting Deuteronomy 27, verse 26, quote, Cursed is anyone who does not uphold the words of this law by carrying them out, end quote. So everyone must keep the entire law to avoid condemnation. But here comes the cavalry in Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed us from the curse by becoming a curse for us. Reference to Deuteronomy 21 verse 23. Jesus didn't simply take our curse, but became our curse. As a result, Galatians 3.14 says, we enjoy the blessings of Abraham. So coming on to Galatians 3, 15 to 29, our final section, Paul's using a legal illustration to show the way of grace always top trumps the law. Paul's first argument in 3.15 is that the way of grace is older than the way of the law. The promise and Abraham's believing the promise was 300, oh, sorry, 430 years before the law given to Moses. Furthermore, it was a covenant that cannot be amended. So the law given to Moses doesn't annul the promise given to Abraham, 3.15 and 3.17. And remember, the promise given to Abraham and his seed, that's Christ, was that all nations would be included in the promise. Galatians 3.8, in you all nations will be blessed. This is music to my Gentile ears. And I suggest we don't get bogged down in verses 19 to 22, except to say that Paul argues that the law was necessary to adjudicate over transgressions and that law was in waiting for the offspring, i.e. the seed of Abraham, which of course is Jesus. Verse 26 to 29 are a crescendo of what Paul was saying in chapter 3 and a beautiful way to end this study. Let's read it again. Verse 26, For in Christ you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free, male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. What an invigorating pericope. The phrase, in Christ, incluso, uh, opens and closes the section uh, 26 and 28, like bookends. Notice he says, in Christ Jesus, meaning 
in the Messiah Jesus, there's a real union with Christ for believers of the promise of grace. Clothed in Christ, there's equality in diversity. According to verse 26, we're all one. One body of believers with Christ as the head. Colossians 1 verse 18 says, Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. As we learned in verse 16, the promise to Abraham was fulfilled in his seed, Jesus Christ. And as we are in Christ, we also inherit the promise, not by keeping the law, but by faith. By believing the promise of grace, we have the undeserved favor of God. Hallelujah. Amen.